Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are now listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. Welcome. Thanks, Alon. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. You're welcome. This is Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome again to this edition. Jimmy is out for the week, but he will be back next week for our big uh, extravaganza. Extravaganza. Extravaganza like Tony Danza dancing on the street <laughs> with a huge propenza. Oh, I didn't know I we were singing. Uh, well, there may be a lot of singing this. If it's just you and I this week, shit. A lot of singing. So much singing. Yeah, so for those who are wondering, you, you know, you probably know already. But if you don't, just to clarify, Allison is now an official part of our team. She has been uh, instrumental in coming through with the clutch when Jimmy has been unable to make it. Or just in general being here because she loves us and we love her. So thanks again for being here, Allison. Oh, I feel loved. Jeez, I mean, we, we need that voice. Voice. We, we need your panache, lady. I'm going to be playing double time with all the different kind of voice ticks that cool. Jimmy has. So don't mind me if, like, uh, I, I try and manifest a little bit of the, the Hoff. Is it, does he know that that's what he's being called today? The Hoff. He's, he's going to find Le out Hoff. Le Hoff. Le Hoff. Le Hoff. Le Hoff. So at any rate, um, cool. if you are appreciative of... The kind of uh, jams we're throwing at you every week. You know how we do with the whole old audio from the yesteryears. It's your tickets to the sounds of the past. We are your archaeologists of the old audio. And if you want to contribute to our great cause, mm -hmm. to bringing you all of this free programming, then mm -hmm. by all means, do not hesitate your browser clicking over to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge and pledge a little bit of money to our Patreon page. Incremental amounts of money that you can provide to Radio Free Brooklyn will give you a little bit of a gift. You get some swag. You get a swag. hat, a tote bag. Um, I know for a fact that if you pay $500 to Radio Free Brooklyn, you will get the studio in your name. And with a new studio coming up, that might be a really handsome idea, Mom. Think about it. Mom. Yeah, Mom. Mom. Come on. Mom, get with the program. Come you know on. what I want for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Or Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, I don't know. Any holiday. Any holiday. Any holiday. So to contribute to Radio Free Brooklyn, we are a non-for-profit, so all your contributions are tax-deductible. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge. And if you want to be a sponsor for our program, because we would love for you to tell us you're out there and give us a little bit of that love, you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash LAR and click the link where it says Sponsor Our Show. Done. Let's begin. Okay.
fun fact. What? It's been a year since you were <laughs> last on our show. A whole year has gone by? It's been uh, just about a year. I've it, aged. I, I, I took a look at the archived episode, episode 50, oh my goodness, of 2016. It mm-hmm. was November 23rd. Oh, wow, yeah. And if, in fact, you know, in, in lockstep with how our old season sort of provisions used to be, we began our fourth season with you as our guest. Because you and I had met uh, through Angel Yao, VHS Presents. I was hosting the night that you were providing to... Uh, <laughs> I'll never this, forget that night. <laughs> the, well, we, what exactly happened that night? So just to refresh, because I don't even think we talked about it the last time. I had cut video together of like my childhood essentially, but it got stuck on this part where my dad's holding my sister and he kind of looks dead inside and my mom's screaming at him from the kitchen and his face just says, I regret everything I've done. (laughs) And it just, we tried to continue the thing, but it just kept skipping to that same part. (laughs) (laughs) So then we stopped it and then I said, anyone have any questions? And then that's when we talked about my dad being a Scientologist. Yes. For only a couple of years. My dad is no longer a Scientologist. Elizabeth Moss is a Scientologist. I just found this she out. She was raised to be a Scientologist. Her <sighs> mom is a Scientologist. Oh, God. It's so it's scary. Beck Hansen, also a Scientologist. I, it's raised I, by Scientologists. Scares me. But anyway. if, if I may, it may be a little different when you're being raised by them versus when you, on your own volition, decide to become one. Jaden and Willow are going to have to live with that for the rest of their lives. The rest of their lives. The rest of their the rest goddamn lives. lives. They're going to whip their hair back and forth <laughs> in the name of aliens. Backtracking to that episode from last year, you decided to bring those videos into a new light, and you brought them, and we played the ones that at least had more dominant audio yeah, so that we could sure. actually play them on the air, and it made sense. Um, but you provided me with this same video reel that you had given Angel uh, for that show. It's really amazing to see that your father has such a knack for the camera. He just recorded everything. Every, I mean, there's... There, everything. There are hours Birthday of Birthday parties. Well, just there's hours of me as literally maybe eight months old, and he's just taping me sucking on a bottle on a rug. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. He was just... But it's cool. It's he cute. was documenting the whole thing. The entire thing. The whole thing. This is your life. And then as I got older, I would say in some video, I don't think it's in any of these, but in some video, you'll hear me say, let's watch Baby Allison. So when I was like 11, he'd play back. Let me watch like when I was like three. What did you think of the videos when you saw them when you were younger? Did you like watching them over and over and over again? I I actually watched them over and over and over again. I critique what I was doing in a weird way. You would critique what you were doing. So you kind of became a little bit of a director back then. Of Of my own life. Yeah, I guess so. You were acting for as early as how old? I mean, I was in a lot of dance, for sure. I was always acting in my room. On stage, probably, like, I didn't really start until I was, like, 15. And then I was also doing some improv. I did a lot of, like, swimming, tennis. I did a lot of sports and dancing for a while. And then when I was, honestly, like, 18, my parents were like, what's your college goals? I guess really, like, 17. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to school for theater. They kind of, their mouths dropped. And they were like, oh, what? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But hadn't they noticed that you were already getting more and more involved in theater? The sports were sort of becoming less your thing, and theater was becoming more your thing. Yeah, they didn't. I, they didn't see that. No, I think they saw it. I think it's it's like when you know uh, something's coming right at you, and you're like, I'm gonna wait and discuss that tomorrow. Mm. You know, that was pushed back for a while. They were afraid. Which is fair, you know. They were afraid for your financial well-being. Or yeah, they were- for sure. My parents are very like. In that way, they're very stable. 
That's yeah. like very important. That's like a you know a forefront. What did they for living want you to do, or did they ever like hint at? Oh what God, you they've hinted to. at a million. My dad's a dentist, my mom's a nurse, my mm-hmm. sister's a lawyer. They've thrown everything at me from like being a flight attendant to like social services. I thought about physical therapy, occupational therapy for a while, stuff like that. Which is stuff. There's still things I'd potentially like to do in the future. I'm not sure, but not right now. No, you're acting. You're creating. You and I are, are peas in a pod in that regard. I get yeah. that. Your involvement in theater brought you to Philly. You were doing theater in Philly, but you were definitely involved with a lot of dance uh, even before you got to college. And what kind of dance were you doing? Like interpretive kind of dance. I don't even know what. Almost like improv kind of style. You took dance and you took improv. Two things that I definitely should have taken more of when I was a kid because I'm terrible. Uh, not terrible. I'm I'm limited in both of them, even <laughs> as an adult. Ter- you're not terrible. No, no, no. It's fine. I, I really do need to take more improv classes. Joking. Taken already like eight. Don't eight? Need, yeah, I've taken way too many improv classes. No, there's never too many improv classes. There, there is never too many improv classes. But you took one as early as high school? Uh, yeah, so I, I did NJ Pack for a while, which is New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Okay. So I would drive from, it was actually the first time I'd drive kind of like towards the city and I was like 16 and I had like a car full of, you know, 16-year-olds with me as well. And I that's like the first time I ever sang a song out loud in front of people. We would do improv, we'd dance, and that's when like we'd do theater more so, like do monologues and actually do scenes. And that was, you know, outside of high school. It was like its own separate thing. Now versus dancing, when you were taking improv classes, did that reinforce your desire to be on stage more on a performance sort of level? Oh, for sure. I just remember like, the high of not knowing what was going to happen next, seeing an audience and having a common feeling with the audience of like excitement of the unknown. And was like, oh yeah, this is cool. I could play with this for sure. The last time you were here, you had a project that you were doing with your friend, Mike uh, Brunetti. LaBruna. LaBruna. Mike yeah. LaBruna. He's and, awesome. And, and now a year later, after we front sold you as having this pilot coming up, it's actually now coming up. It is. Mike's worked on this for years. I helped him edit it for a couple years. What's the name of it? It's called The Upside. Right. I mean, essentially, it's about, you know, a couple friends who become roommates living in New York City. But it deals with a lot of social issues having to do around being HIV positive and kind of the balance of addiction and, like, kind of the idea of what you're supposed to be versus, like, who you actually are and what you're going through, essentially. We like to think there's an upside to everything, whether it's true or not. And it's going to be on November 25th, which is a Saturday, at club coming at 5 p.m. We'll actually have some drag queens that are hosting and performing two-for-one drinks, and you get to watch us on TV. You get to watch on TV? On TV? I don't, I don't know. You don't know what channel it's on? on? I, I think he just means screen. They're just, we're going to screen oh, it on their TV. But it, says, <laughs> it says watch us on TV, so it's not like a fun thing to say. Watch us on the screen. We're actually going to be on Fox. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> HIV positive on Fox. I thought that was funny. That, that's a good reality show. No, <laughs> but since then, in that mm-hmm. ye- in the year since you've been uh, waiting for this oh, yeah. pilot to be released, mm-hmm. you have gone through many other creative projects, including one that we are going to talk about later. But we did allude to it on an earlier episode uh, recently, where you had a one woman show that is now going to Chicago. Yeah, so she's like evolved into something I didn't even know what she'd become. But three years ago, I pulled out this thing called Red Rose. And it's it's like, I would say, 
this huge scroll of paper can last you for like up to a year. And I just kind of rolled it out and pulled out a bunch of markers and kind of just started writing down things that had happened in my life combined with just like thoughts that I have on an everyday basis. And I got to do it at Cherry Lane really randomly and kind of improv. I just put this huge scroll on the stage and I kind of just went with how the audience felt and different stories. And from there, I ended up working with a woman named Tabitha Vidari, who's awesome. And we combined our two solo shows and went to like Philadelphia. Uh, We still worked together, but we kind of went separate with our shows. And I found old videotapes after actually working with you guys of myself that I interjected in between these stories and kind of did like in blackouts in between stories I was telling showed like old footage of me as a child, which has now kind of morphed into uh, it's hard to travel sometimes with the show and using a projector just can be a little bit difficult. So I moved to sound as well also to not be distracting. And now I kind of recorded sound for like seven years and I figured out why I didn't know why I was doing it. And it was to kind of balance out, the idea of the show that I have now that I'm traveling with is the idea of the world we live in versus the world that everyone else lives in and how those kind of mold together. You know, I think a lot of people go through life in a way with blinders sometimes, and it's kind of a way to kind of let those blinders down and be aware that you're not the only person that's being affected on a daily basis. That was the <laughs> inspiration for it. You've done it enough times that you've uh, evolved the show and seen what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still figuring that out for sure. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I submitted it for Chicago for uh, Sketch Comedy Festival, which is like one of the largest festivals in the nation, which is cool. And so I'll be bringing that to January 13th to Chicago. That's exciting. It is exciting. It's pretty dope. You've given us permission this week to talk about a little bit of the audio clips from that production. Yeah. So a lot of these clips play when I'm actually in red on stage um, deboning a chicken or like a rack of ribs. Right. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's let's talk about that for a minute. What drew you to do that? <laughs> I did a triathlon, so I hadn't been drinking for a little while. And I got to Chicago and I was like, well, because I did a, the first version of this specific show in June for Women's Funny Fest. I got there and I drank. And I woke up really hungover. And the idea was I was going to cut up a watermelon and everyone was going to eat it. And that was what I was going to cut up as my activity throughout the show. And I woke up just mad at myself and pissed off and was like, I'm going to go to the butcher. And like, so the idea behind that is kind of just hacking away at all of like our trials and tribulations. And also I kind of think I like to make an audience feel a little, not necessarily uncomfortable, but I want them to kind of take a deeper look into like what's you know, happening. I didn't want to make it so light and fancy free. There's a lot of hard things to listen to in this show as well. It's not all easy. So um, I wanted to make that physically apparent as well as like audibly and visually. So yeah, so I just woke up and I was like, I'm going to go to the butcher. And they thought I was crazy. I was okay, They gave me a knife and a cutting board as well. I bought a whole chicken, a rack of ribs and some liver and then ran to tech. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. What exactly can you remember from your childhood that inspired you that being uncomfortable was something you wanted to make other people? Actually, it's funny. I, as you say that, I was obsessed with the allegory of the cave as a child from Plato. I was obsessed with the idea of staying where you are, knowing that and not ever roaming outside of your, you know, that zone or going outside of what you know exists, knowing that even if you like what's outside of it, eventually you might have to go back in. And so like as a child, I would literally listen to Shania Twain, like that don't impress me much, and like scribble the allegory of the cave on my walls. 
Right. I think that's when my mom was like, well, there's, she's, she's, she's lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Allegory of the Cave is the whole, I mean, I haven't read it in a really long time, but uh, that section, that part of the idea is kind of like the divergence of how we exist and how we look at life kind of. And I guess in that way of making people not necessarily uncomfortable, but kind of understanding that there is not just one way of living, that there are like various different ways. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in like, this is the one way to do something. It's like there are 7.44 billion people that live in this world. No one eats or breathes or like, you know, think, you know, thinks the same. And even if I only have an hour to have that discussion with you, it's like a nice hour where maybe time doesn't exist. It's important that you remind people that we're not always supposed to be feeling comfortable and secure with the way that we observe others. For sure. We should always be a little bit on edge in some capacity because that inspires us to think outside of our own construct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, as a straight white cis male in 2017, I, I have a lot to learn from everybody's experiences. <laughs> there's there's the hop. Le Hoff just came out. The Hoff just came out. <laughs> except except he, he is uh, half white and I am full Jew. Yeah, this is very true. All right. What's the name of the show? The sh name of the show is... Um, it's fine, all lowercase, with a slash, and then in all capitals, too lit, period. It's fine, too lit. <laughs> <laughs> what made you decide on that name? Well, originally, the originally, originally, the very beginning years ago, I called it, uh, oh God, what have I done? And everything was capitalized, but the G in God. And I was like, what's <laughs> Allison? Like, what's going on? Um, now it's just kind of, it's, I say it's fine to a lot of things I realize, and I've Notice people around me when situations happen. It's one of your ticks. Yeah, it's like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, I'll get through this. It's cool. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And I was like, oh. And then the other side of too lit is like, you know, I don't have, I don't, I've never really suffered from severe addiction, but I have a beast inside of me that likes the bottle or is like substance abuse before. So I'm, and I talk about that in the show as well. Um, and the idea of like how we use substances to escape and not deal with, you know, certain issues. Substances, so. food, uh, drink, everything. A a everything. Any, um, any sort of anything that it's like, you know, that can that exists to allow you to not have to face what you don't want to face today. Is there something that you're still addicted to now as an adult that uh, you started as a child? Well, actually, you just can't you can't give up the ghost. Can't well, I can't give. I, can't, I still bite. I actually stopped biting my nails, but I still pick the skin around my nails. That's a thing. It's a tick. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Ooh. No, since I was I, a baby. You and I both are alike in that regard. Uh, I I have a terrible habit that I, I still am. Very shy to admit this, but I, I have had that issue for years with the whole like peeling. Yeah, it's, a, it's and it's a gross habit, really. Oh, it's awful. No, it's it's it's, it's terrible. <laughs> There's no question about that. And I've gotten a lot better as the years have gone on. I've discovered that there are devices that. You know, just make these things easier. Or you know, there's, God forbid, there's lotion. I mean, yeah. there's other ways to to do this align, uh, other than you know the way I was doing it as a very insecure 14, 13 year old. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think it's funny because it's almost, I've been like over analytical on myself about, I've done the same thing with like smoking where it's like nothing actively that about this habit is positive to you or anyone around you. Like nothing about it. So why are you self-destructing? Right. And then it's almost over analytical where it's like, well, everyone's going to have a habit or something that is like, you know, you're not going to be 100% positive. That was the always the logic that I took though, is that you know, okay, so I'm not smoking cigarettes. I'm just, you know, peeling the skin around my cuticles. Like, I don't understand, like, but it's why. Not, it's damaging your body. 
it, it's slowly damaging your body. It's not damaging your body as quickly as, say, like what my mom had when she was a kid and she was biting her nails. No. And, like, she actually had to go to the doctor for that. Did she get infections? I think she got an infection at one point. But, <sighs> then, but she never did it after that. I, I mean, that's a wake-up call. Um, I never had that experience of needing uh, an intervention. Like, Alon, it's time we told you. <laughs> You've been, the healing has to stop. Well... <laughs> It's really it got really bad it, it, to a point where it wasn't even just that I was peeling my own skin like I was peeling paint. Oh, you're a peeler. It's not. It doesn't happen anymore. But I may have, in a lot of cases, over the course of my time, in maybe certain buildings, maybe a school. Okay. Found areas of paint that were dried up, or you know you know, needed to be chipped. You're tearing off the layers of your soul via an old school. I don't know what it was. It was just, there was something cathartic about doing it. Then the next thing I know, I have this entire like mess of paint <laughs> chips just on the floor. And I got to like, shit. I, I got to run. I got to, I got to like brush this away and like make it like it, it never happened. <laughs> nobody ever, nobody ever got on my case about it because I don't think anybody ever, thought to, to uh get on my case about it because they didn't either they didn't see me doing it or they it wasn't bothersome enough it wasn't distracting enough it was just a sort of i would do it very covertly and secretly during um class or if i was you know in a you know in the room and i would just do it in a way that wasn't trying to attract attention yeah no that makes sense and it's not something i'm obviously uh happy to, to say I, I don't think i've ever actually mentioned this on air <laughs> but again you you are a, a master of making people uncomfortable so uh it's oh god always, i don't know if i like that title i didn't the say master you, it. Uh, yeah so my gravestone says today she was the master of making people uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things that you could be addicted to that are a little healthier i mean but having an addiction is not a, a healthy personality at all like being an, having a digital personality no matter what is going to come back and haunt you Oh, for sure. And there are a lot of things that uh, you have taken under that you did do that you don't do anymore, and all of the addictions that you might have are at least you know sort of in, you know, you take them in in pieces. You're, you're not like balls to the wall, like doing no. everything all the I'm time. I'm addressing them. I'm addressing my issues of addiction. And by dr addressing the addiction issues, that actually is a catharsis because it helps you defeat them. Absolutely. If you're being honest with yourself, you know that what you do, and then you don't have to think about doing them per se anymore, but you can at least interpolate them into entertainment purposes. Mm -hmm. Hey, that works. That does work. <laughs> I had a recorder. I made a podcast. That's what I did. <laughs> there you go. That's all you need. Um, so I wanted to actually, before we go to the next segment, there is one piece that we did not cover from that infamous tape that you had uh, given me. Uh -huh. uh, the infamous tape. I'm intrigued by which part, which part this is. We covered a lot last year. In episode 50, there was a clip of you at a Barbie birthday party. Uh-huh. Which we did not say was, uh, I think it was Berlin, She's Got the Look. Or, no, no, Roxette. It was, yes. It was Roxette. It was Roxette. I don't know if we had covered that. It she's was Roxette. She's Got the Look. God, she's it was so good. Look. And she, I'm just walking down. I look up. I don't know what's happening with me, but Some, that's my worst nightmare that I'll be that Barbie one day. That you'll be that Barbie one day? Yeah, that's one of my worst nightmares. One was that I'd be homeless and an alcoholic. I faced my fear recently on that, that that's not going to happen. 
But my other fear <laughs> is was that I'd be a Barbie impersonator at childhood parties, kind of. I don't think your parents would have necessarily wanted you to do that. But that sounds like it could have happened. That's, 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 it, I mean, I think it's still a tiny possibility. It, we're in a very dark timeline right now, so this, anything is possible. <laughs> um, the clips that we had talked about that, that on that episode were that one with the Barbie birthday party, like a, I guess, parachute birthday party. It was like yeah, a, it was at, jamboree, at a jamboree. Jamboree, thank whatever, you. Yeah. And then uh, there was one with you dressed up as a pilgrim. <laughs> that was for school. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you had one uh, at Christmas opening up presents while your mother was upstairs um, depressed in bed. Yep. And then, the, of course, we can't forget about the one from Halloween where uh, you are dressed up as a bride and your sister <laughs> as a is dressed up girl. as a China girl. <laughs> well, actually, one thing I wanted to ask you, and, yes. uh, and there's a quote that is from that episode where you said that somehow 26 years later, your sister birthed your uh, her twin. Oh, yeah. We didn't elaborate on that. My sister basically harvested a dermoid cyst, which has uh, the cell that's in that has the ability to grow bone, teeth, and hair. And it had lied, dor- it laid, lay had dormant for 26 years and finally decided to grow. And it grew, it'll be like anywhere from, I think, like three to five pounds of like what meat wad would look like if it were real life from, um, what's, what's that? Why am I? Aqua Teen Thank Hunger you. Force? Uh, yes. Wait. So, okay. So, wait. Th- I- I'm really lost then. Okay. Is this 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 was not a sentient human being, but a growth. It was a growth. It's essentially an unfertilized cell, so it's what could have been her twin. What? Yeah, so it's an unfertilized. So it's a genetic thing. Like the same thing happened to my grandmother, and then my mother, and it happened to my sister. But Is it doesn't always grow. Word for this? Is there a term for this? Well, it's a dermoid cyst. A but dermoid in some cyst. people, it just stays small. With my sister, it grew. Okay. So it grew to be. It had teeth in it. It had a bunch of hair. It had a bunch of bone mass. But it was essentially just a wad of flesh with like parts of what exists in a human, like the you know fingernails and bone, like dead tissue. But that does grow. That's gross, but also <laughs> very enlightening. And I was so she had like a C-section. You know, they had to give her a C-section and take out her dermoid cyst, as opposed to taking out a child. They just took out a cyst. Yeah, That's... but like a five-pound cyst. How long ago did that happen? It would have been about a year ago. Yeah. Wow. And she's all good now. Yeah, she's fine. Yeah, she's all good now. She's fine. Getting back to the videos of the past uh, from the Goodman household, your um, sister is in a lot of these clips as uh, it should be, and she is adorable. And you guys have you guys have a really. It seems like you guys had a really strong relationship. There was no contention, really, or maybe Uh, was there? Oh, the camera (laughs) does not does not show everything. We had a lot of contention between. I feel like when. Most of our, let's say between the ages for me, nine to like 16 or eight. But that did not show up in these because these are all from 1991. Mm-hmm. But I was still a little devil to her sometimes. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was the worst thing you ever did to her? This is really bad. So there was a year where my sister was deathly afraid she was going to die. She had like the date. She still knows. I forget the date, the time. <clears throat> that day that that the one, the time that that day came, she wasn't allowed outside the house. But she was convinced. But she was afraid anything would make her die. So, like, I would just hide in, like, nooks of stair- the stairwell. And I'd pop out and be like, you're dead! <laughs> and she'd, like, get really scared. <laughs> I'd pinch her to see, like, what a broken blood vessel would look like. Good God, Allison. I know. I was a little evil when I was young. I'm so nice now, though. You are. <laughs> and, and, it seems, and your relationship that you have with your sister seems really to be super really, strong. really super strong. 
I have queued up right here. The one thing that we didn't play on that episode, I don't want to spoil it, so I'm just going to play it. Okay. And it'll be wonderful. And then it just cuts off. There's another part of that later on. She missed the New Year's. She kept counting up. My mom was, I think she's pretty drunk. So she kept <laughs> counting up. So we actually, you see the balls already dropped. And then New Year's, everyone's screaming, Happy New Year's already happened. And she's still saying, 42, 43. Because you notice she's counting up, not down. Well, I thought at first what she was doing, I, when I was watching this video before Rare, I was trying to understand if she was counting the seconds and I don't then, know what was happening. Like, as it was counting down, like, 36, 37, 38 on, like, the seconds timer, she was counting those. But so it, you I, think, but then she started going back, and then she got down, and then she started going back up. Very confusing. Well, my dad's passed out. My mom's yes, only paying attention. Yes, your dad is totally passed yeah. out. Your mother is panning the camera on your father, and he is out like a light. Yes. And basically, it takes an ent- his entire family to wake him back up to remember that, the, like, oh, yeah, it's 1992. Or, <laughs> is, was it 1991 or 1992 it was going into? I think it was coming into 1992. Okay. Right? Yeah. Born in 86. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes yeah, sense, though. I think. And my mom was kept saying Eileen, and then I was obviously f- jealous, so I kept... I'm the only voice in the background yeah. that we hear. You never even hear Eileen. I think that's kind of maybe why I was uh, doing a little foreshadowing with how your relationship was, because... Having a younger sibling means that you have to vie for more attention a little harder. For sure. And that was on display in full capacity here. Because <laughs> she isn't mentioning your name at all. All, all, all you want to do is just be the center of no, attention. Yeah, that's that all I want. Common trope. Totally get it. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to uncover a little bit of the excerpts from I'm fine. It's lit. <laughs> oh, that's I, awesome but that that's not it but that's a really I'm good fine. rendition what is it again i'm fine it's lit i'm fine <laughs> no it's, no it's it's um it's fine too lit it's fine too lit lost and rewound radio free brooklyn we'll be back in a little bit Thank you. 
thanks again for joining us on this edition of Lost and Rewound. This mm-hmm. week we have Allison Goodman, sans Jimmy, but again, this will this this tends to happen. Leha, 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 off, off, If you like Allison, have things that are just me milling about your archives that you'd want to contribute to Lost and Rewound, because you know you wanna. Yeah, wanna. Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Don't worry about this being a season. We're in like season infinity now. Yeah, so we're seasonless. We're season. We're, well, we're very. We're se- seasoned, but we're seasonless. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now for the main event, we have wonderful sounds from the yesteryears, but a little newer than what we were hearing before. Mm-hmm. And this is from your show. Could you explain a little bit about the first sounds we're going to be hearing? Well, there's two clips, but we'll start with one. Well, I've always been recording, essentially, mainly sound, uh, excuse me, especially since, like, college. Um, I actually have this old tape recorder I wish I could still find. It's from when I was way back when, uh, somewhere in my parents' house. It's an old, like, MP3. But this is essentially when I would take um, rides my first year and a half in New York. It's probably about 10 years ago. And I'd be riding in cabs, and I would record our conversations. Um, and a lot of these conversations actually happen to be about... I just moved to New York, so I was very green and like comedy was going to make, you know, like was going to make it right away. Um, And a lot of these conversations, I was probably slightly intoxicated, probably coming back from serving food at a place called The Smith. Um, Oh, yeah. Over in Times Square area, right? There was there's one there now, but I was the uh, part of the original one, which is on 11th and 3rd Avenue. Okay, Uh, they got a lot of locations now. They're a big. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Money. So this is uh, you on the way back home. I think this is probably on the way back home after drinking at a place called 12th Street Ale House, which is around the corner from the Smith, usually half a bottle of whiskey deep, on the way home. <laughs> Man, everybody gonna fight for you. Oh, we want a funny girl. We want funny girl. <laughs> yeah, we want comedian girl. <laughs> See, the thing is, though, Vegas is... It's the same to the universe. But it's just like gambling and liquor. I don't know if I can do it, man. What else? What else? There is. What else is there? You don't need anything else. That's why. That's why we live for for gambling and liquor, you know. Oh, it's so true. I've never been to Vegas. I have. Don't go. Don't go. (laughs) I mean, I almost didn't survive. My wife really wants to go. Look, you should go. If your wife wants to go, you should definitely go. I mean. I had not against going, but there are a lot of other places in the entertainment variety that I could think of going well before Vegas. Um, oh, yeah. Let's talk about this clip. You are in a cab heading home, and mm-hmm. the cabbie is is saying you should definitely go to Vegas. What more do you need more than gambling and liquor? Right. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he would know. No, maybe he does. Maybe he, he spent a lot of time there, but you had not been there is the point at that time. You had not been there yet. No, I had been there already. You had been there. Mm-hmm. I was, I'd gone, actually, so my parents, when I turned 21, my parents were like, hey, we're going to go, I'd, I was probably actually just come from there, not that long, uh, not long It was before. fresh. It was pretty fresh. And they were like, we're going to take you on a trip for your 21st birthday. We're going to take you to Vegas. I went to Vegas. I was super stoked. And it turns out they enrolled me into a Money Matters course that I had to be at every morning by 8 a.m. They gave my sister and I our own suite in one of the hotels in Vegas and said, drink as much as you want, do whatever you want. By the way, you have a Money Matters course every morning at 8 a.m. What is the point of going (laughs) to a city where you are inherently going to be awake for all hours and then, no. That's them being like, we're going to teach you how to balance life. I mean, it's kind of genius, but also I was like, 
fuck? This is <laughs> this is exactly why I'm afraid of going to Vegas. I'm going to be told we should go this place and this place. And uh, also, I'm not going to be able to stay up past 11. And we should just get up really early and find somewhere for brunch. Sure, I guess. I mean, totally have the opposite experience of what Las Vegas <laughs> would be. supposed to be, yeah. And that's fair because I don't have the money or the funds or the mind to even go somewhere where I don't even know how to gamble. So it's all good. But you know how to gamble now. I do. My dad actually, we and I won a lot in Vegas. Not that much, but I won a couple hundred bucks the first time I legitimately gambled. Sick. And I, th- I think the thing with this clip, too, is like there's all these ideas of what people think you are as a performer. Like, you know, it's like when you say, oh, you do comedy. Oh, UCB. Oh, the pit. You know, and it's like. Precisely. Which is fine. It's just not really my, you know, and I love those places and I've worked at a lot of these places as well. But my idea is not the idea that people have necessarily had before. Like, I see the vision that people have had and the way that they, their formula, but like I have my own formula and so I can use what they've done before as guidance, but I will never be like, I'm going to do that. That's already been done by someone that's already been successful. So I want to find my own way. And that's, I think this guy was kind of being like, go to Vegas, you'll get famous there. And that's the big thing with my parents is fame, fortune. It's like, I don't really care. I want to be able to pay my electrical bill. Right. With comedy, that would be cool. Sounds like a conversation that could be had with any cabbie, really, or anybody who doesn't know you. You say, well, I'm an actor. And then they said, oh, what have I seen you in? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The worst question. Well, it's it's just a boring question. Like, I'm asking somebody I've never met before, like, do you have any siblings? (laughs) It's a very, like, stock question. What time did you take a shit this morning? (laughs) I I admit, I'm full of stock questions. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, but there's no reason why anytime someone tells me that they're an actor, that's going to be the first question I would ask. And I mean, I've answered it and I'm sure people have seen me in their hotel room doing like mysteries at the museum or something. They won't accept me for mysteries at the museum. I apply almost every day. Well, they suck. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, come uh, on. I've done a, on a lot up. of reenactments and mysteries at the museum. It's not one of them. I'm so mad. Optiman, you're killing me. <laughs> you, you hired me, but you can't hire her. It's not right. Please. Well, let's listen to the next one. It's between money and honey. But what do I have? This money means you have little money. Or honey means no honey. This, uh... So I have money, but no honey. No honey, yeah. There's no boyfriend. <laughs> You go house, there's no night, uh, boyfriend, no nothing, no talk, nothing. <laughs> this, this is, uh, this only one fulfill, but <laughs> no another. Oh, money, no honey. That's true. So why no like honey? I am so lost. <laughs> Um, that's funny because I actually don't have money or honey, which is funny because a lot of my show is about balance. So we were having a conversation, I think, about personal life versus professional life and then also play life. So he's saying, are you a family person or are you like a business person is essentially what we're having in discussion. So money, meaning like, do you put all of your effort and time and work or honey? Do you have someone that you love? And is that your life? What was the impetus for him asking? That's, I, those are that's I don't that's, know. that's very personal. Yeah, like the other guy was just like, you should go and you know do crazy things with your life, and then this one's like, have you reached peace? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't know. Sometimes you get asked that question because sometimes people think they'll maybe get a date out of you, but I don't know. I don't. It didn't. I don't think it was like that. I think it was kind of more of we were just ha- somehow we fell into a personal conversation. Well, they didn't know you were recording. Uh, everything. You did. Go- I don't think he knew I was recording. How many of, of these cab rides, honestly, Ooh. did you record? A lot. I have a lot of recording. I have a lot of. So cab you would rides. just go into a cab after work and just press the record button and yep. then you, you never know what'll happen. No. 
and generally speaking, sometimes it would be more engaging, but almost always, no, no, not one was the same. Never the same. No, and you know what's funny? I didn't listen to them for a minute, and I, people would laugh at. Like I remember, I'd go to work and I'd play over a recording I'd gotten from like the night before, and people would be like, "What's wrong with you?" I was like, "I don't know what's wrong with me." I just like didn't know, and then and didn't know why. I just wanted to do it, and then slowly as the show's evolved, I've been like, "Oh, you know." And I've actually had conversations with people. It's not illegal to play something that you've recorded now. Uh, is it right or wrong? I don't know. You know, some people know they're recorded, some people don't. I've gotten into that discussion with many people before. The Danziger Zone being the reason why Lost Remount even exists, this recording series I did when I was a kid. I recorded people constantly, and I've invited people to be on the show. They have said thanks, but no thanks, and I can't fault them for that. But again, you know, they are not going to really probably realize that I am playing these clips of them. <laughs> And I'm not going to be like, so guess what I did? No. There's no reason to. Like, nobody cares that much. It's more just like, oh, uh, well, you should have known that that was happening. And I was going to come back 20, 20, when, two, <laughs> two years later to, to, to do this and to play, yeah. play your Hebrew school uh, musings. I don't know. That, that wasn't specific. But there were things from Hebrew school. With with Beavis and Butthead impressions. There you go. That's the best. Totally. All right. Well, I'm probably going to end up having to ask this again later uh, with the next series. But what made you decide to put these excerpts from Cab Confessionals, (laughs) Taxi Cab Confessionals, um, into your show? Oh, so like the emphasis, I think, especially behind the last clip we just listened to is like this guy essentially is saying it's something that's always uh, rung behind my ear. My dad's always saying you can't do it alone. I think no matter what, we're very alone. No, like, it sounds really morbid, but I don't think it is. It's like, you only really know yourself. And even then, I think that's pretty tricky. Um, but, and my dad, when he says, I don't want you to be alone, it's like, you know, I understand what he's saying. But a lot of this is that idea, I guess, is like, how alone are we? How much people around us really know us? How much do we know them? And the idea with this guy in the cab driver being like, no money, no honey, is like him saying, do you have a honey? You know, I, if I find someone I'd like to spend a majority of my life with one day, that would be that would be great. I, you know, I don't know if that'll happen, but um, you don't need to be in a relationship to help you further and uh, define who you are. I mean, oh no, no, I'm, that's I've been single for uh, ten years. <laughs> wow. Hey, I don't know what that says about me, but it says that you are a desirable human being. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, good. Let's well. <laughs> <laughs> now you all know. Yeah. Um, Let's listen to the next one. Ladies, I would like to introduce you to my daughter, my granddaughter. Hi there. Hello. Who flew here today to, to see me, just today, from New York. She's from New York. She's an up-and-coming, she's an up-and-coming actress in New York. She doesn't get full bullying yet, but she's getting there. <laughs> My guess is if, if this is labeled part one, does this open the show? Yeah. So the the show opens essentially, I am sprawled out on the floor. You don't really know whether I'm alive or dead, which I think is fun. Um, and these clips are on a loop. The In the beginning, it was 12 minutes. So the audience kind of has to sit there and kind of wonder what's... And there's just kind of a a whole... There's this, all this raw meat, which eventually what I'm doing is making it into a stew. So the smell changes with the heat in the room and like this kind of the ambience. Um, and then I get to feed people what I've cooked. Is the potential idea. But this kind of plays on a loop. And so, yeah, this is my grandfather. You know, he's 93. Um, He suffers from pretty severe dementia now. Uh, And so I went to visit him years ago in Chicago, years ago, when I went to visit this guy. 
And I stopped off at the nursing home to see my grandpa first. And I realized that we've gone a little downhill. And so my mom actually, he now lives in Jersey next to my parents. He's always mad because life didn't end up the way that he wanted, which I think is really interesting. Like he spent all this time saving his money and uh, now he's in a nursing home. He gets very mad when he has lucid moments. He gets very mad about it. What was he doing when he was more lucid? He was a Navy man. So he scrubbing the floors and cooking all of his meals and very active. He loves to drive. So essentially, you know, they took away his power. So I think he feels pretty powerless in his older age, and it must be hard to go backwards. This is your mom's dad? My mom. Yeah, how'd you know? I think I heard her voice maybe in there somewhere. Um, no, she wasn't there. She that wasn't was there. Um, he was he was introducing me to all the ladies he hangs about out with at night in the ladies room. Ladies yeah. at the, so later on in that clip, like five minutes in, it comes back to that, and I call him a pimp, and he laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> was your grandfather a pretty big disciplinarian? And oh, you- for sure, my parents. Yeah, for in my life, not so much. My dad's dad is actually more of a disciplinarian to me and not in the way I always like. My grandfather's more been like, you'll figure it out. But to my mother, very much a disciplinarian. And how long ago, if you want me asking, uh, was he uh, diagnosed with dementia? Oh, I've, I'm going to say. Not in this clip. He hadn't had it yet? No, he has it in this clip. He has. He's having a good day. It's, you know, this he, was a recent diagnosis by this point because this was like, what, like six, seven years ago? Yeah, probably about okay. seven years ago. So he's probably been diagnosed probably within that year. Right around that time, literally within was like your those couple months. First time visiting him since the diagnosis. Yeah. Okay. And alone, it was the first time visiting my grandfather alone. Really, and kind of seeing like his room and meeting his quote unquote friends. You know, he had like he had his own house, and then essentially had to be taken away. You know, everything was his car was taken away, his home was taken away. His like, and it's yeah. it's really that's you know that's a we we find people old, old elderly people. I think we forget like they had a whole life and they have to kind of go back in time a little bit and we Always, forget. Yeah. It's a little bit of the Benjamin Button effect, as I've said. As yeah. you get older, they become more at the mercy of uh, being uh, coddled and needed to be taken care of. I've um, been struck by lightning seven times. <laughs> <laughs> There's another clip here uh, with your granddad. George. 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 <laughs> oh, I got, look at me now. What do you mean? Your neck looks good. I'm lucky I'm here. <laughs> You're lucky that you That's true. <laughs> what a difference. I know. That's how age happens. It happens to everyone. I want you to mm. tell me exactly yeah. what this is about, but not until you tell me where it places in the show. This might actually be after I talk about a lot of addiction. I have this whole piece where I go through like alcoholism and cocaine and like it's kind of this crazy whirlwind where I do these three pieces between ecstasy, cocaine, and, al- and alcohol. And it's it's this exhausting eight minutes straight through bit where, like, I barely kind of – I breathe as I do theatrically. But, like, there's not really a break or any moment. And this kind of, I think, happens right after that. And, I mean, there's a – I think there's a, there's a large part of that. Like, part of it is, like, realizing when you reach a certain age, you can't party like you used to, which is its own honest thing you have to do to yourself of, like, a moment I can no longer – if I choose to now continue down this road, it will be something different than what it was when I was 25. And then for him, you know, what we were talking about before is like, it is what a difference, you know, and, and this is us now, actually, this is so before I was in Chicago, this is after my mom brought him back to Jersey, which was yeah. all within a year. And this is my sister. And then my mom was in the background. As yeah. Well. I think so I, I overheard her. He says, uh, look at me now. He's looking at like his neck, just like the changing of his body. And he's saying, you know, what a difference age makes. And I lean at my sister saying, yeah. That's everybody goes through that. And it's true. Everybody does. It's another thing. Like 
it's almost like when you think someone has a baby and it's like, oh, well, everyone's done that. Or like this person, you know, your grandfather passes away. Well, every old people pass away. But you forget that that was that time. That was that person's existence in life. And they had this brief amount of time on earth that we know of, you know, depending on your beliefs. And that's important to the person that lived that. So, you know, it's almost like an homage to other people whose grandparents are going through the same thing. And, you know, I don't know. I only really grew up knowing one grandparent. So the context for me having that experience, seeing somebody of an older generation dealing with it is actually through my um, my wife's parents um, who are uh, significantly older than mm. most uh, other parents and honestly about as old as one's grandparents would be. Okay. Um, not to say that it's something I need to get into per se, but totally understand this whole like stubbornness for not being able to be as useful oh, as, yeah. you were, as, as you were before. And the whole uh, nature of wanting to keep everything the same as you did before is well understood because I, I lived with that for five years uh, within my adult life. Well, and it kind of goes back to us talking about before, like acceptance. And, you know, we were talking about kind of addiction and it's kind of an addiction in a different sense, right? Like addicted, like to the way things used to be, you have to accept that things have changed and figure out a new way. But that's not necessarily easy if, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. Right. So, I don't know. We have time for one more clip, and it's um, a little bit newer, but not too new. It, no. it, it's from the subway. And how long ago was this? Let's say maybe six years ago. Okay. I might, let's say roughly. could be a little longer. Um, and it's funny because this kind of goes back to realizing that people around you have different beliefs and different thoughts. Religion is bad. God is good. Religion is bad. When you say this is well, this is this is this, this is not Jewish, this is Jewish, it's not good. Religion is love thy fellow man. It doesn't matter who it is. The message is, is good, but it's screwed up. I mean, I guess if you're going to come across any disciples of God, as they, I'm sure they like to say they are, yeah. that, that, that's a pretty eerie one to come across. I was not having a conversation with him. That was actually a conversation that happened next to me. And a Hasid walked up to this man on the train and started to preach to him. And this man had actually grown up as a Hasid and had quit, had no longer was in the he Jewish faith. He left He left. And he was sitting with a lunch pail and he was definitely a union construction worker. And this guy was trying to preach to him. And not listening, this young kid, 22. And this guy was like, who are you helping? Please tell me what you're doing. What are you actively doing? And I thought it was so interesting because this man had lived the life that this kid was preaching him to be. And it was a classic look into like someone not actually listening to the other person talk. It was really interesting. It was like that clip's like uh, 15 minutes long, actually. Yeah, that, that, that tends to happen a lot, especially with uh, panhandlers and solicitors who come on trains. It's like you are listening, but you and you are actively listening if you don't have your headphones in for some yeah. reason, which I think is the part of the course now in New York City in 2017. Yeah, for sure. God forbid that somebody is talking to you that you don't know and you just you're <laughs> trying to zone out. Um, and when you're a woman, it's like even more difficult, which I don't uh, envy at all. And I wish that everybody would just leave us the fuck alone. Everybody just would like, go back to like the way my parents told me the city was, which is you don't talk to anybody. Nobody talks to you. you just go and do your thing. <laughs> True. Allison, this has been a really enlightening hour, and I really appreciate you sharing this stuff. I know this is not 
uh, really very uh, orthodox, not to go back to being Jewish for a minute, um, not really or- very orthodox to be sharing stuff of an actual active show that you have going on, but you've been very kind to do that. Uh, and I know that if people go and see you do this in Chicago, they can be uh, very lucky to see you doing quite a slobber knocker of a show, even with Celine Dion cut music, right? Oh, I, that's actually one of my favorite parts. That's about that whole section is if I were to ha- be married and have four kids right now. Find out more about It's Fine Tulit at allison-goodman.com for more info. And Allison will be here next week with Jimmy and many special guests yeah, yeah, yeah. for our 100th episode of Lost and Rewound as a whole. Not on Ready for Brooklyn. We'll get to that eventually when it comes. But for now, as a whole, for the last almost, what, four years that Lost and Rewound has been a podcast slash broadcast, now um, we are uh, approaching that. And that's mm. exciting. But uh, in the meantime... This has been episode 99 of Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. We will see you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks. Bye.
every deli should have milk. <laughs> it's only correct. That's what's on my gravestone today. Every deli should have milk. <laughs>